0: I'm Mike Merrill. This is Lasso Lessons. I'm here with Kathy Buckman. Hi, Kathy here. We're talking about Ted Lasso, Season 1, Episode 9, All Apologies. And the title here seems not only to refer to the subject of this particular episode, but also invokes a song of the same name by Nirvana. And this is a show that likes its musical cues. It likes its music to be quite literal in the way it connects to the show, often, uh, and it likes the 90s. So this seems fitting. A question that our parents' generation like to ask others is, do you remember where you were when JFK was shot? The question I like to ask people, my generation is, do you remember where you were when you first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit?
1: That's a great question. I believe I probably saw the video on MTV. I, I don't have a specific memory. I definitely remember when Kurt Cobain died.
0: I remember very distinctly. I was at a party and it stopped me in my tracks. I turned to the person I was with and said, do you know what this is? Because I was so blown away by it. It
1: definitely felt like nothing else that was out there. The, the sound, the attitude, the song title, it definitely called attention to itself.
0: Yes, it inaugurated a whole Gen X ironic music library that we're still recovering from probably. All Apologies opens with Roy emerging out of icy water like a kraken, but he's actually in a dumpster in the training room. And I've got my doubts. This is the way that Premier League players ice down. And it really draws attention a little bit to the fact that this this clubhouse is not decked out the way that most premier and higher level sports clubhouses are today. I mean, it's kind of decked out in the way we want to imagine a clubhouse to be with everyone on benches.
1: Yeah. I have a story about that. Took my kids to tour Fenway park in Boston. And the whole point of Fenway is that it's sort of a dump because it's so old. When we got to the part of the tour where they took us into the visitors clubhouse, there were three people on our tour who were actually from Barcelona and they could not believe it. They said, we're from Barcelona and we cannot believe how dank, small, dark and uncomfortable this looks. And later I did have the pleasure of visiting Barcelona and took a tour of the stadium there and got a a sense of what they were talking about. I think when the soccer team in Barcelona visits their clubhouse, they are not seeing anything that looks like Fenway. I saw clean, well-lit, airy, open spaces with soaked tubs and plunge pools. And yeah, it was pretty nice.
0: Nothing like what we see in FC Richmond. That FC Richmond is much closer to Fenway than it is to Barcelona. I would say. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's probably designed to make us not see these players as... Super privileged people, Um, and it's designed to keep them close to us, keep them kind of working stiffs.
1: Yeah, make them relatable.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. If the obvious visual reference isn't clear of Roy lifting his head up from icy water in a dumpster, Ted will make it so calling Roy Oscar the Grouch, which seems right both visually and because Roy is, to put it mildly, grouchy. The scene plays up Roy's pain and his decline. The TV announcers say it's been a tough day for Roy. And then the TV blares on about Jamie's success at Man City. Then Danny Rojas shows up, of course, and sings as he runs on the treadmill. Roy's age, his decline, they're all highlighted here. We've noted that in the first 90 seconds of Ted Lasso, often a lot of things happen. Often all three strands of the show are threaded through that 90 seconds. We saw this, for example, in the last episode, the diamond dogs here though they spend the whole time really focused on this one thing this focused on roy's decline roy's challenges and ted's need to address this
1: this does seem like a bit of an echo to something from the previous episode we saw ted beating himself up in the clubhouse and now it's roy who really feels like he lost them the game with an own goal and It's almost like he wants Ted to yell at him, but that's not something Ted's going to do.
0: Ted almost repeats a line he heard from Higgins in the previous episode, The Diamond Dogs, where Higgins asked Ted in the wake of his encounter with Sassy, Rebecca's friend, why he's insisting on going 12 rounds with himself, beating himself up. And Ted says it specifically to Roy, that you're beating yourself up. We now see Keely once again approaching Rebecca, reminding her that if she, Rebecca does not tell Ted that she, Rebecca, was the one who had Keeley and Ted photographed by paparazzi. Keeley will. So she had warned her this at the end of the last episode, and she reinforces it here. Keeley does this very interesting thing. She nearly repeats a line from Ted that Ted has spoken, not in Keeley's presence, that Ted has spoken about girls being mysterious and dark and dangerous. Keeley pretty much repeats this line without having been there. Rebecca will repeat it at the very end of the show for a third time to Higgins. And also later, Keeley will repeat a line that Danny Rojas says about the body being an amazing thing or a magical thing. Danny says it again, not in Keeley's presence, but then Keeley says pretty much the same thing to Roy later. And this kind of double repetition seems non-accidental. I'm not sure what it really means. Maybe it's highlighting Keeley's empathic tendency. Like she almost reads people's minds or she's just in touch with the zeitgeist of the whole community.
1: Yeah, Keely is emerging as a non-superficial presence in this show. I think most of what she does here is meaningful. And I think you're probably right that Keely is in touch with things and speaks the truth and makes connections for people.
0: Yeah, it's unrealistic, but in some ways it's very fitting, I think, for her role in the show. Once again, we have a press conference. Predictably, Trent brings up the fate of Roy. Ted replies that Roy is the backbone of the team. After the conference, Coach Beard and Nate confront Ted to talk to him about Roy. And they stand side by side uh, in front of Ted. And Ted suggests that maybe they're going to perform some improv for him. And this has to be seen as a reference to the origins of the show. So Jason Sudeikis, Ted, and Brendan Hunt, Coach Beard, actually met doing improv and the famous, it is truly famous, Boom Chicago Club in Amsterdam. Other alums of this club include Ted Lasso's showrunner, Joe Kelly, Seth Meyers, Amber Ruffin, and Jordan Peele. That's right, Jordan friggin' Peele. And we'll talk more about the influence of improv on the show and what it means for leadership in a future pods.
1: Presumably, all of these people had the experience of what it was like to be an American living abroad, having those fish out of water moments.
0: Coach Beard and Nate are confronting Ted over Roy. They want him to replace Roy in the starting lineup with one of the other players. He tells them that while he values their suggestions, he won't bench Roy. Rebecca sends notice that she'd like to speak to Ted. We believe to come clean. Instead, she fails to do so. And she does so in one of these hallmarks of the show, which is one of these meta moments, which she procrastinates telling Ted by noodling on the etymology, the word origin, of the word procrastinate. Uh, Once again, the show is very focused on the nature of words and how they make meaning. Rupert now enters and tells her that he and Bex, the young woman to whom he is engaged, are going to have a baby. It is clear that this was a point of contention in their marriage. Rebecca wanted to have children, Rupert did not. He tells her that it comes down to being with the right person. This seems to be a kind of a nasty inversion of what Higgins had said in a very positive way about his own marriage. In the past, when this sort of things happens, Rebecca seems even more driven for revenge on Rupert. Instead of this case, we see her descend into the clubhouse to admit her treachery to Ted. Not only that she had him and Keeley photographed, but that she had hired him to fail to destroy the club to get back at Rupert.
1: This is a big moment for Rebecca, and I think we really do need to focus on what made her have this change of heart. But we'll talk about that later in the episode.
0: Ted, though I think clearly a bit hurt, immediately forgives her. Divorce makes people do crazy things, he says. And we see yet another hug, the longest yet. We now turn to Ted at practice. Coach Beard gives Ted the cold shoulder and the silent treatment all at once. Nate flees when Ted tries to speak with him. Clearly, they have found his rejection of their advice very much not to their liking. Ted, in response, agrees to speak with Roy. Rebecca now turns up at Higgins' house. Unemployment has turned him into an upright bass-playing beatnik with an unpleasant beard. Rebecca tells him that she has revealed her machinations to Ted and asks him to come back. Meanwhile, Ted tries to talk with Roy. Roy anticipates what Ted wants to say, and it does not go well. Afterwards, Roy goes to talk to Keely. He says his whole identity is wrapped up in being a footballer.
1: Uh, I think we all remember that Roy has already revealed that he started soccer at a very young age and in fact has devoted all of his life to developing and inhabiting this identity.
0: Yeah, and Keeley shows him that that's not the way his niece sees him. Ted and Coach Beard meet at the pub. Ted says that while Roy knew what Ted wanted to talk about, Ted will not be benching him. An infuriated Beard explains that despite what Ted has said previously, This is not like college football. These are not kids. If they lose, they face relegation, which means that they will have built nothing, he says. The stringing together events may remind us a bit of the catastrophizing that Knight did in Make Rebecca Great Again, where he said if he offered his advice, he would lose his job, and then everyone would laugh at him, and his face would melt off. However, while the structure is the same between these two things, Coach Beard is clearly not catastrophizing. His scenario is all too real. Beard says that Ted is choosing a player's feelings over his coach's duty. And I think this is a point that you have been making in past episodes, Kathy, that Ted's radical John Woodianism is maybe not up to the real stakes here.
1: I I think this is a theme that has been building to this moment. You know, how long is it going to take Ted to realize that maybe the person who needs to change in this case is him?
0: Ted, having once again, drinking a bit too much almost steps into traffic. Roy has arrived at the pub, reaches out an arm and saves him. And this is another one of these small moments that do so much work. We once again see a fish out of water moment. Ted looks the wrong way to cross the street. We see Ted having drunken too much. And I think we begin to wonder if maybe there isn't a bit of an issue here. And finally, we see Roy stepping in. Roy has gone from fierce skeptic in the first few episodes to clubhouse supporter to asking Ted for personal advice. And now to actually stepping up Watching Ted's back, just as Ted says he has Roy's back, here he literally saves him.
1: Uh, I think that's exactly right. Roy has clearly shown up in the nick of time, and it's almost like a reversal in their relationship.
0: They go to Ted's place where they talk about the necessity of Roy stepping down and some of the alternatives Roy has to join another team next year to go to America, where Roy says he will dominate. One of the pleasures of watching American soccer, the MLS, is seeing mixed in with the American players, rising stars from other countries, often South American countries, as well as those from Britain and from Europe who maybe have lost a step. The former, the say the Latin American players, always seem like a blaze running through the league. In the latter, they might not burn quite as bright, but they often seem to be playing the game mentally on a whole nother level. We used to watch Thierry Henry, the great French striker, in his final playing days on the New York Red Bulls. And while he was not in his prime, he could just turn it on sometimes with a great run or just a simple but effective pass that looked like magic.
1: I remember that well. He did things with a lot of economy, I would say. And I think that's just what comes from being incredibly talented and very experienced. I think I remember him... Making a lot of assists too, that seemed really generous. The kind of thing that you can do in a magnanimous way when you are playing in America after a long successful career
0: elsewhere. At the next practice, Roy shows up and embraces his role on second team. And we get the sense that Roy, will be not running off to another club, will not be taking off for the shores of America, but is committed to making the team better. Kathy, what do we see going on in this episode in terms of adult development and leadership?
1: I think there are four things to talk about here. I think we see first some interesting developments in the contrasting styles of Ted and Rupert. I clearly see a lot going on about apologies tied to the title of the episode, obviously. I also think that there's something going on here around Ted and his openness to influence from others. I'll say more about that. And then finally, we see Roy having to make a really difficult transition, which is something that all of us have experienced in our lives. And it involves some learning.
0: Maybe we should talk first about this distinction between Ted and Rupert, because we see Rupert at his most Rupert in this episode, I think.
1: He's extraordinarily cruel in this episode, and it results in a big moment, almost a climax in the arc of Rebecca. So let's back up and let's really frame this. What we see in this episode are a couple moments where Ted is really leaning into something that is very Ted. He is boosting people up. He is showing up in moments in their life, and he's trying to lift their mood. He's trying to make them notice what's good rather than what's bad. So for instance, with Roy, who's taking a real beating on television and watching it, Ted says, you had a bad day, big whoop, go easy on yourself. I got your back. And all of this is, I think, designed to be comfort and reassurance to help Roy, who's feeling low. The parallel scene, you know, it's a small little scene, but I think it's meaningful. Ted is with Rebecca, who is participating in a photo shoot for a magazine profile that's going to be written about her. and She's downplaying the importance of this, but Ted says to her, you know, you might really actually inspire young girls who might want to be part of sports management, but just don't see it as an option for them. Rebecca, she's a little cynical about this take, but it's clear she understands it to be an attempt to make her notice what's important about what she's up to and what she could potentially be proud of.
0: And he appeals to a couple of things. One is their sense of the future, right? Girls will pick this up in the future. They'll want to be sports executives as well. Of course, she's not thinking much about a future for this club or has it been. And also it refers to children. And this has been an issue as we're going to find out second Rupert. It's been an issue around her goddaughter. This kind of nurturing of other people is something that Ted's pointing to. It's very important for him. And you got to wonder if is it's going to be important for her. I think that leads actually
1: pretty directly into the news that Rupert has to share. So this all then has to get contrasted with what Rupert does. And we would say Rupert is somebody who likes to, he likes to bring people down. He's not somebody who's trying to build up other people. He has shown up in person in Rebecca's office to deliver news to her that he knows is going to be painful for her to hear. He didn't want children in their marriage, but now in his next marriage, he does. This lands very hard with Rebecca. And then he says in a very smarmy way, I'm so glad I got to tell you this in person.
0: And this is part of what you've called Rupert's counter revenge plot, right? While she's been seeking vengeance on him, he's countering in some way. He seems to express in the pub a little bit that he maybe has a sense of why she hired Ted, that she is trying to cause damage, that she is trying to hurt him.
1: Yeah, I think that might be right. It's entirely possible that Rupert knows exactly what she's doing, and so he has to raise the stakes. He's clearly enjoying the pain that he's inflicting on her. And I think it's this contrast between Ted, who wants to build people up, Rupert, who wants to tear people down. That's really motivating to Rebecca. Essentially, it tees up a choice. Who does she want to be? Does she want to be the kind of people who brings people down? Or does she want to be the kind of person who supports people? And brings them up.
0: And so you see this as potentially motivating her to cut through sort of her reluctance to have this difficult conversation with Ted and to go and speak to him.
1: Well, she's not quite ready to do it yet. It takes one more step. She knows she has to deliver an apology. So let's talk about the second big theme here, which is apologies. Rebecca knows she needs to deliver one to Ted. Keely is encouraging her to do it. She just isn't quite ready. So we see a scene where Rebecca is in conversation with Keely and she tries to rationalize not telling Ted the truth. And she says something like, imagine doing something unforgivable to someone who doesn't deserve it and then having to look them in the eye and tell them what you've done. Telling Ted won't change anything. And if that's your perspective on what an apology is, I get it. Why would you ever do that? You have to create a painful experience for you and somebody else that's never going to go back and change anything that's already happened. But what Keely does in this conversation is she gives Rebecca a wider perspective on why apologies are important. She says, okay, sure. Telling Ted isn't going to change the past, but it's going to change how I feel about you. What Keeley is doing here is making clear that an apology is not just about some sort of transactional output. You know, if you think it's going to erase the past, you wouldn't do it because that's not achievable. But if instead you think about it in terms of the relationships that you're trying to nurture and create, and also about being the kind of person you want to be, the kind of person that you admire, the kind of person others would admire, then apologies start to feel more important.
0: And so what happens when Rebecca finally does get up the nerve to apologize?
1: It's very interesting. Rebecca has been inspired by both Keeley's emotional intelligence and Rupert's cruelty to finally come clean to Ted. It obviously is a very emotional experience for her, but I think she does a really good job. There's a real art to making a good, real apology. Most of us think about apologies as really just saying the words, I'm sorry. But apologies are important to get right, and they are a skill that you can develop if you practice. There is a book written by psychologist Harriet Lerner, and the title of her book is Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. It's really a book that gives you a lot of life hacks on how to know when you're not apologizing effectively and how to do better with your apologies. And I would say that some of the things Rebecca does here are really best practice. There are several elements that you can point to in this apology that really are commendable and make it effective. So let's look at them one by one. The first thing that I would say she does that's really effective is she provides Ted with some actual data, some information that he didn't have before. She says, I hired the photographer. I instigated Jamie's transfer. These are facts that he did not previously know. I think it's important if there's information you have that the person you're apologizing to doesn't have, that that be part of what you provide to them. Then second, she shares the thinking that she had been hiding from him previously. This is the thinking that really explains why her behavior made sense to her. So she says, I sabotaged you so I could cause Rupert as much pain as he caused me. This is not a noble thing that she's admitting to, but it's sort of the missing piece of the puzzle that Ted didn't have that helps what she was doing, helps put it into context of what it meant for her.
0: So she reveals both facts that he didn't know about things that happened to him and to Keeley and others, and she reveals her motivation behind it. And what's the last point?
1: Well, I, I think that this is really crucial. She also demonstrates that she understands the impact that this has had on Ted and others. She says, I acted like I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. And so she is admitting responsibility for having potentially caused a significant harm to others. Then finally, she ends by saying, I'm so sorry full stop. She doesn't say anything after the word sorry. And what I think you need to understand is I think we can all contrast that with the experience of receiving an apology that says, I'm sorry, but if you ever put the word, but after the word, sorry, it is not really going to be experienced by the other person as a true apology.
0: So she reveals what she'd done, she gives her motivations, she explains that she understands the consequences for others, and finally she provides a true uncaviated apology for her behavior.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think it's really effective. And so in part because this is Ted and in part because Rebecca has done a really good job with this apology, Ted responds by forgiving her. And forgiveness is not always granted so quickly or so easily, but what Ted does here is he gives us some examples of what forgiveness can look like. One thing that Ted does is he takes her perspective and he puts her behavior into context. When he says divorce makes people do crazy things, what he's essentially saying is that I know you're not at your best right now and I'm not gonna judge you without putting it in that context. He also says to her, Sure, you've had a negative impact on me, but you've given me more than you've taken. And that hug that comes at the end, I think, is because Rebecca genuinely can see how much work Ted is doing at this moment to help her with this apology and to meet her where she is.
0: And then she goes to Higgins and apologizes there as well.
1: It's really very similar. She does a nice job with this apology also. She accepts responsibility and she says she's trying to do better.
0: So that handles a lot of the apologies. And again, this episode is called all apologies, but as we said, there's also another important theme here, which is Ted being influenced by his team, by the other coaches.
1: Yes, exactly. I think this is in many ways, a very relatable theme for those of us who work in organizations. It is often the case that a leader has a strong idea about what's right And it is also often the case that people on the team don't agree and feel that the leader should change his or her mind. Nate and Coach Beard do something really important. They try to very specifically and directly lobby Ted to change his mind. They show up in his office and they try to influence him. They do this by, first of all, giving him specific quantifiable data. Nate says. Roy has made significant mistakes in the last five matches. This is really important information. You know, if you want to try to change somebody's mind, it's useful to share with them the data that you're using to form your point of view. Then Ted himself sees the evidence during training while Roy is trying to keep up with the younger players and repeatedly failing to run as fast as they can. Ted starts to actually accept the influence from Nate and Coach Beard. He's at the point where he's ready to accept they're probably right that Roy needs to be put onto the second team. But he's resisting at this point out of loyalty to Roy. And because we can see very clearly that it is hard for Ted to have a difficult conversation.
0: Yeah, this really seems to be a challenge for him. He likes to be a nice guy, right? He likes to be always positive. It's hard to find a positive take on, I'm going to bench you.
1: Yes, exactly. He owes a lot to Roy. Roy put a lot on the line for him. And that relationship they've built is really important to him. In that first encounter with Roy, Roy makes it very clear that he feels like this is a betrayal of their relationship. And so Roy's not making it easy on anybody at this point. But Coach Beard is not done. Coach Beard in the pub scene frames this all up for Ted in a way that I think finally gets through to him, which is it's good to focus on your players. It's good to focus on players' feelings, but you have to think about what you're sacrificing to do that. He says you're putting a player's feelings over your coach's duty. It's almost like this framing that Coach Beard puts on it. It's very similar to what Keeley has done earlier. He puts it in terms of a choice of who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who lets down one person? Or do you want to be the guy who lets down everybody? And framed this way, I think at this point, it's very clear that Ted has opened himself up to the influence of his team, he's ready to change his mind. So I'm going to bring this back to what's relatable for all of us. It can be really frustrating when the boss doesn't change his mind and they don't always. But I think it's a hallmark of good leadership if you're willing to show that you're listening and you're willing to engage, not just in the point of view of others, but what they see as the consequences of the course of action that you want to take.
0: And I think it is really hard for Ted to have this talk with Roy. And it's interesting because in some ways, his inability to talk with Roy echoes Rebecca's inability to talk to him about what she needs to talk to him about. It's this tough thing to talk about. And so she procrastinates by breaking down the word procrastinate. Ted does something different. Ted tries to start his conversation with Roy. I'm talking about a video he saw of a kitten, a little baby chicken becoming friends He said he picked up this habit from his mother, who, when she wanted to speak with him, always started out with what he said was something weird, something overtly nice. And it's almost like in that very moment, as his language kind of breaks down around this, he's recognizing this maybe is not the best strategy. And in in her words, I think we can see the origins likely of, of Ted. We've heard a little discussion of the influence of his father, and now we're hearing a little tiny bit of a discussion of the influence of his mother on him. And it's interesting because what his mother has taught him in some ways, maybe isn't the best for having these difficult conversations.
1: Yeah. I think that difficult conversations are really important at work. And I think we all know that we have reflexes for these difficult conversations. Somebody with a personality type like Ted is going to struggle reflexively with starting the conversations and being direct. And what he's told us about what he learned from his mother, you know, it's psychologized, but it's really true. That is a big part of where our reflexes come from. This is one of the areas where Ted needs to grow as a leader, is in having a more balanced approach to saying things that need to be said, even if they're going to be painful for the people who need to hear them.
0: And there's a... Very well-regarded book out there. And the name of this book is Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. It's by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. We're not using the frameworks in that book today, but if you're interested in this subject, many have found that to be a useful book, and we'll probably end up talking about it in later episodes. And I think the last thing you suggested was that once again, as we did in The Diamond Dogs, we're going to see some cognitive reframing at work.
1: So this theme is around Roy and his transition, but I really do think it's a callback to the last episode. Roy needs to change. He's at a turning point in his career and change is difficult. It's hard to change. And the way that he's framing this for himself is making it really difficult. Roy clearly has his identity tied up. the idea of being the best football player on every team he's ever been on and it's very hard for him to imagine who he is without that frame for his identity keely she's really good about this she helps him reframe the situation first by showing him that's not all that he is right if you ask his niece who's your uncle she's not even going to mention football and Second, she helps him see that in a lot of ways, he's worried about what other people think of him, that other people are going to see him as a has-been or won't know what to do with him. And really, breaking out of this frame is what he needs to do in order for this transition to be less painful. He needs to own the story about himself and see himself as more than just how people view him or how he's always viewed himself. Because Keely's kind of magic, it happens. Roy gets there. He gets there on his own. And in that final scene, we see Roy put himself on the second team.
0: He literally pulls the second team penny over his shoulders. And it just is a visual indication of he's accepting his role.
1: Exactly. He's taking it on willingly and trying to make the best of it. In that sense, he's not a victim. He's taking on a role that he feels like he can create that role and what it means for
0: himself. It leaves up with the question still with Roy on the bench. They still are missing jamie tart they still are a team that's not fully running on all cylinders can they in fact gather themselves together make a run and save themselves from relegation
1: next episode is the final episode of the season and here they are what's gonna happen
0: so that's season one episode nine of ted lasso all apologies coming up is the season finale season one episode 10 of ted lasso the hope that kills you